You're listening to Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary. Eddie took a long, slow drag on his cigarette, holding the smoke in his lungs, clenching his jaw and his stomach muscles, willing the noise to stop. He exhaled with a pale blue-gray cloud only when all he could hear was silence. And then the screaming started. He dropped the half-smoked cigarette, sending a sparkle of tiny red embers into the waiting night and sprinted back into the building's waiting mouth. For a second time, a jagged scream tore through the halls and the residents started poking their heads gingerly around their bedroom doors. A young, scrawny girl with matted hair named Florence threw herself in front of him, seizing Eddie by the shoulders with her bony fingers and staring straight into his eyes. It's him. He's here. He swept her aside and continued to pound down the hall towards the sound, leaving Florence calling out more desperately each time. It's him! It's him! He's here! Before descending into screams of her own as two orderlies pinned her to a cold stone wall, insisting that she calm down or be sedated. Eddie reached Margot's door, and a horrible scream rang out again, piercing his eardrums like a needle. He swung open the door and flicked on the lights, which always made a menacing buzzing sound, to see Margot sat in the centre of her bed, knees hugged tight into her chest, staring intently into the corner of her room, with a look of such abject horror on her face, Eddie had to turn away. Muffled noise thundered in his ears, and he breathed deeply to quiet it down, before turning back to Margot, placing a blanket round her shoulders and trying to lie her back down. Her skin was deathly cold to touch, and her muscles were stiff. No matter how hard he tried, she refused to be moved, keeping her gaze focused hard on the corner of her room. Two other orderlies joined Eddie and manhandled her back into bed, straightening out her limbs and securing her in place with a set of restraints which looked brutish and unnecessary on her slight frame. But even then, Margot's gaze still stayed on that corner. See him again, did she? One of the patients asked from the doorway. Eddie turned to answer the man, but before he could, one of the two orderlies had taken a firm grip on the back of his collar and started dragging him down the hall, snarling, This is the ladies' ward, you degenerate! Eddie darted to the doorway and thrust his head out, but was only in time to see the orderly shove the pyjama-clad man through the door into the men's wing. What are you looking at, newbie? He yelled down the corridor as he turned back around to see Eddie staring. Eddie's eyes darted to the floor. Yeah, that's what I thought. Now get back in your rooms, all of you, he spat back as he stamped into the darkness of the men's wing, leaving the steel-reinforced door to swing shut behind him with a clang. The gathered residents retreated, all except Florence, who was slumped on the floor 
with her eyes half-closed, struggling to focus. Behind him, the second orderly's keys jangled as he locked the door of Margot's room. He stopped next to Eddie, shook his head at him, then offered him a cigarette from a crumpled pack he had pulled from his back pocket. Eddie took the smoke and followed him outside, leaving Florence in a heap on the floor. You'll get used to it. The screaming, I mean, he said as he lit the cigarette hanging from his mouth with a short match before holding it out to Eddie. The colour had drained from Eddie's face, leaving him a greenish shade of grey. He lit the cigarette and took a drag, slowed his breathing down and sighed heavily as the noise in his ears finally started to subside. This place... There's something about it that sets me on edge, he said. That will be the crazies they keep here, the other man replied. But within just a few weeks of working here, Eddie was convinced that there was more to it than that. It was used as a psychiatric hospital now. But Highcroft Hall had its own unsavoury past. It was built as a workhouse sometime in the late 1800s, and had seen its fair share of brutality and horror, filling it with people who had lost their wits through war, sickness, poverty and ill-treatment, did nothing to help Eddie's feeling that something evil lurked inside. The residents only added to his suspicions with talk of a... a what? Eddie didn't even know. A man? A ghost? A creature? Whatever it was, they all referred to him. The nurses and orderlies at Highcroft all knew about him, too, but they dismissed it as a symptom of keeping sick and psychotic people all together in the same place. A dreadful concoction of all the voices inside their heads melding into one collective delusion. None of them gave it a second thought. You'll get used to it, they kept repeating. But the longer Eddie spent at Highcroft, the more disturbed by the place he became. Margot perplexed Eddie too. She was deaf and didn't communicate verbally at all. She spent her days in complete silence, using only the most basic hand gestures to indicate what she wanted or needed. The only sounds to ever leave her lips were these nocturnal screams, and nobody had an explanation for them. And the noise. Nobody could explain that noise. As Eddie was still new to Highcroft, part of his shift was spent studying the files of each of the residents so he could understand their condition, their behaviours, and their treatments. She was an artist when she was younger, he said aloud, gesturing towards Margot, though the other orderly wasn't paying him any attention. She used to sketch. Amazing, fantastical stuff. Mythical creatures and all that. But her parents thought her drawings were wicked. Evil. So they got scared and brought her in for testing. I guess that didn't go so well for her. It says here that when she first arrived, she would sketch things all the time. Nobody saw her without a pencil in her hand. 
She even sketched some of the other patients. There's something dark about her pictures, no doubt. But then, all of us have a little darkness inside, don't we? Eddie realised he was talking to himself, but continued regardless. The nurses said her behaviour was obsessive, the product of intrusive thoughts in her mind, so they put a stop to it, ordered her room to be cleared, took all of her art supplies, banned her from drawing altogether. That's when she started screaming at night. At this... Eddie became irrevocably convinced that Margot could hear that horrible noise even though she was deaf. Unfortunately, the hospital's nurses had a different idea. Their answer for her was electroconvulsive therapy, which explained all too much. Eddie took down Florence's file. She said that she could hear the noise too. Quiet at first, enough to distract her but not much more. But each time it got louder, more intrusive and more terrifying. She started calling the noise him, and she tried to hide from it, or block it out by screaming, shouting, banging her head, anything that would stop her from hearing it. When it inevitably got so loud that it eclipsed everything else, she would freeze, standing completely still, repeating her now telltale catchphrase, It's him. He's here to a frightful crescendo before becoming completely catatonic. She too was subjected to ECT, as if they could somehow shock it all away. Eddie pulled file after file off the shelves, and many of them read like a rehashing of the same story. The nurses were callous, the orderlies heavy-handed and brutish, and the treatments were often so barbaric that Eddie had to stop reading for a moment to steady his nerves. Reading, writing, painting, every small pleasure these people had was seen as some kind of dangerous symptom of whatever illness had seen them committed and had to be stopped. And soon after, they all started screaming at night, petrified of that frightful noise. Even the ones like Margot, who couldn't hear at all. They all described it slightly differently, depending on how literate they were. But Eddie couldn't hide from the fact that they were all talking about the same thing. He knew, because he could hear it too. And they all got that same shock treatment, leaving all but a few of them in a perpetual state of catatonia, with strange outbursts at night. Though whether it was because of the noise or the treatment, Eddie couldn't be sure. There was only one of them he could communicate with who still had periods of lucidity. If he was going to make sense of any of this, he had to find Florence before it was too late. But Florence was fragile, childlike at times. A careless word or passing comment was enough to send her on a downward spiral which ended in her unresponsive in the fetal position on the floor, often for hours, if not days at a time. He also couldn't risk being overheard by anyone, patient or orderly, for fear that he could be punished for indulging a patient's delusions, or worse, accused of madness himself. He knew that the only way was to wait for the noise to come again, 
but each time it did, it was more intense and horrifying than the last. The noise was so all-consuming, Eddie feared he would go mad just from the sound of it. But it was the only way he would be able to convince Florence to trust him. He was one of the orderlies, after all, and he had seen what they were capable of. The next time it came, it was on a night as black and sticky as tar. The air was thick, and the heat was so oppressive within Highcroft's dense brick walls that the residents were all sleeping with their doors and windows uncharacteristically unlocked and open. Eddie fidgeted on his chair at the end of the corridor leading to the women's wing, pulling at every corner on his uniform to stop the fabric sticking to his skin. He pulled out a small notebook that he kept in his pocket and started to write in an attempt to document his feverish thoughts, but it wasn't long until the moment he had been waiting for arrived. It started like the buzzing of a fly, intermittent, almost beyond his perception, as though his ear was straining to hear something just slightly too far away. Then it started to come in waves, each one edging closer, building to some horrible crescendo as the sound crashed into his brain. He squeezed his eyes shut, but was plagued by a vision of each discordant sound like a tentacle wrapping around his body, probing every orifice for a way inside. He yelled out, hitting his temples with the heels of his hands as though somehow the sound from inside him could stop the sound from outside getting in. His body was leaden, but he knew this could be his only chance. He had to reach Florence and fast, but every step felt like wading through a swamp with those horrible tentacles sucking at his legs, trying to pull him back. When he reached Florence's room, she was sat upright in bed, staring straight ahead with fear and knowing in her eyes. It's him. He's here. He had expected as much, but before Eddie could respond, she looked straight at him and said, And now he's got you too. Shaken by this, Eddie grabbed Florence's wrist and urged her to follow him. He pulled her into the corridor, through the imposing steel doors of the wing, down towards the main entrance and out into the waiting night. Florence repeated her mantra of it's him, he's here, all the way, as Eddie dragged her along by the arm with no resistance at all. Eddie realised as he led her down the dirt path towards the gates that she was barefoot and wearing nothing but her nightgown. But by this point he was too fervent in his mission to turn back. As they reached the gates, the sky ruptured. White light flashed overhead. Rain began to lash down and an ungodly sound roared from above. Florence cowered, thrusting herself into Eddie's arms. They stood there, being pelted by the rain for what felt like an uncomfortably long time as the deafening thunder slowly rolled away from them. Florence stepped back, as if she was only just realising that she was outside. She wasn't dressed, and she was soaked through. 
What am I doing here? She asked Eddie. Florence? What am I doing here, Eddie? Why are we outside in the rain? Eddie was dumbstruck for a moment, but he had to be sure. Can you hear him, Florence? Her eyes darted down, staring into the middle distance for a moment before she spoke again. She met his eyes. No, she said. He's gone. Eddie grabbed her by the shoulders so excitedly it shocked her. But just as he was about to tell her his theory about the noise, about how he thought it was coming from Highcroft itself, and that if they could get just far away enough, it would disappear and they would be cured, a voice rang out above the storm. What the hell are you doing? The orderly yanked Florence from Eddie's grip and tossed her over his shoulder like a wet rag. He poked Eddie in the chest, making him stumble backwards. If that's what you're into, buddy, that's your business. But you can't go parading it in front of people. Eddie shook his head to protest, but the orderly had already turned away and begun marching back to Highcroft, fat raindrops running in rivulets down his white shirt, sticking it to his back. Florence's sodden nightgown clung to her slight frame. The ridges of her spine and ribs protruding through the thin fabric made her look like a skeleton wrapped in a sheet, and Eddie shuddered that the other orderly thought he could ever be capable of such a thing. As they reached the front steps of Highcroft, Florence's head snapped up and she looked back at Eddie, her eyes blazing with horror. He's here! He's here! He's here! She screamed and writhed and fought, but it was no use. She was too weak to escape the orderly's grip, and her howling and shrieking only earned her a syringe, administered straight to the neck with a stab, which within seconds had turned her limp, lifeless, and silent. Her head swayed from side to side with each step the orderly took, until they disappeared into the darkness inside. Eddie took his face in his hands and inhaled deeply. He steadied himself, wiped off some of the rain, and followed them inside. The orderly had deposited Florence on her bed. Her wet nightgown still stuck to her skin, and left her as she lay. She struggled to turn her head towards Eddie, and tried her best to focus her swimming gaze on him. He squatted down beside her bed so his face was level with hers. Stay with me, Florence, he said. I know what I need to do now, but I'm going to need your help. Eddie closed Florence's door and walked to the end of the corridor, where a nurse who looked like she had just been roused from sleep was waiting. He expected he would have to explain himself to her, to provide some sort of incident report. He didn't expect her to jab a needle into the side of his neck. Eddie awoke on a hard mattress with a rough, scratchy blanket thrown over him. There were shackles which clanged against the metal bed frame, but his arms and legs were both free. There was nothing else in the room, not even a bedpan. The reinforced metal door was locked, and there was no handle on the inside. A small, thick glass window peered out into the corridor, 
which was full of a dark, gloomy light, so he had no idea what time of day it was, or how long he had been there. He went to call out, but his throat was raw and dry, so he knocked on the door instead, which sent a metallic thud down the hallway. A moment later, a nurse and two orderlies loomed in the doorway. A moment later, a nurse and two orderlies loomed in the doorway. The men took hold of Eddie's arms and pulled him to his feet, directing him along the corridor behind the nurse. He was taken into a room with bookshelves lining nearly every inch of wall and deposited into a leather-cushioned chair on one side of a vast mahogany desk. The man sitting on the other side waved his hand without looking up from his papers, and the orderlies left the room, while the nurse stood aside and looked intently at the man, who Eddie now realized was a psychiatrist. It was fairly clear that this man had no interest in Eddie whatsoever. He skimmed over the few pages in front of him, looked at Eddie over the rim of his glasses, and asked him outright, Have you lost your mind? Somewhat taken aback by his forthright attitude, Eddie shook his head and replied, No, sir, I haven't. But when asked if he could explain his actions the previous night, Eddie knew there was no way he could tell the truth, and he wasn't in the right state of mind to come with a convincing enough lie on the spot. Seeing his hesitation, the psychiatrist announced that in his professional opinion, Eddie was suffering from a temporary madness. He was not to be sedated, but to be kept in isolation and observed closely for at least two weeks after which his condition would be reassessed. Eddie could hear the blood thundering in his ears, and it muffled out all the other sounds in the room. He was deathly afraid that the noise was coming to him now, in front of these people who had the power to keep him here permanently, helpless against its power. But after vomiting into the doctor's waste paper basket, his senses recovered, and the nurse tentatively escorted him to his room. It wasn't the cell he had woken up in. This room was at least more hospitable than that, but not by much. At first, Eddie felt a sense of overwhelming guilt that this hell he had found himself in was the life he was subjecting patients to just hours ago. Then came the fear. As the realization set in that for two weeks, Eddie had no escape. From this room, from this building, or from him. He was kept in total isolation. He had no contact with any of the staff. His food was shoved through a letterbox in the door. There was no window in his room, so he had no way of telling what time it was, or how many hours and days had passed. The only way he could identify the night time was by the noise. He couldn't say how many times it had happened in those two weeks, as every incident brought Eddie closer and closer to the brink of insanity. There was no respite to be had all the time he could not leave the grounds of Highcroft. His strength was sapped by fighting the urge to give in to the noise and let it take him over. 
it would be a bigger relief than Eddie could imagine. But at what cost? The worst part of the ordeal was that there was no regularity. Each occurrence was unexpected and unannounced. He could not prepare, only endure, which only made it all the more maddening. While he still had his wits, Eddie had to hold it together long enough to get himself out. He had to convince them there was nothing wrong. He ate his meals despite near-constant nausea. He asked for books to occupy his time, which the nurses permitted, despite their initial trepidation about what he might be trying to hide inside them. He complied with all the instructions given to him, even those from his former colleagues. He somehow kept control of himself during his nocturnal episodes, sleeping for hours and hours afterwards to recover his strength. And after two weeks, the psychiatrist was satisfied that Eddie was sane enough for release. Eddie was elated at first, but the psychiatrist then recommended he be suspended from duty for a further two weeks for a period of rest and recuperation. He was to spend the night in the hospital and be released first thing tomorrow morning. He knew he couldn't possibly wait another two weeks to execute his plan. He wasn't prepared to risk waiting one more night. He was escorted from the psychiatrist's room by an orderly, who took him left down the corridor, back towards the patient's rooms. He glimpsed through the windows that the sun was already setting, and as he glanced back towards the doctor's office, he saw him marching down the corridor, briefcase in hand, to leave for the night. He knew there would only be a handful of staff present on the night shift, relying on sedatives and the brute strength of some of his colleagues to maintain control of the patients, but he would need a way to distract them, to clear a path. But first, he had to get to Florence. Nervous energy surged through his limbs as he walked as calmly as he could beside his escort. He knew the man, though he had never shared a shift with him, so he responded casually to Eddie and didn't crowd him, opening the door and allowing him to pass through with no need for physical contact. Eddie felt bile rise up in his throat as he thought about what he had to do next. He asked the orderly to help him find one of the books he had been reading. As the man crossed the threshold, Eddie grabbed his head and slammed it into the door, dazing him and sending his body slumping to the ground. He took his keys and his whistle and locked him in the room, sprinting away from the scene as he tried to work out what to do next. The building was essentially one long corridor, with the different wings sprouting off it like branches. The wings where the residents lived and slept were at the far end of the building, so it didn't take Eddie long to get where Florence was. But despite his speed, an orderly performing his rounds recognised him and shouted for him to stop where he was. Again, Eddie felt sickened by his own actions, but hit him hard in the face nonetheless and shoved him into one of the other patients' rooms, locking it from the outside so he was trapped. Florence had already run out into the corridor on hearing Eddie's name, and without a word, they both started pulling the residents from their rooms. He knew that the commotion would attract attention, but in his desperation had forgotten to create the necessary distraction to help them get from the wings to the main front doors. 
Before Eddie had even gathered his scattered thoughts, Margot had emerged from her room, yanked the stolen keychain from Eddie's belt loop, and sprinted through the wing towards the main corridor. She kept on running until she had cleared the main entrance doors, then blew into the whistle, drawing the orderlies to her as she ran, thinking one of their colleagues was under attack. Margot was tiny, but she was fast, and despite their strength, they struggled to keep up, jostling each other for pole position, seemingly oblivious to the heist taking place behind them. Eddie and Florence herded the other patients from the wings into the wide open corridor, urging them towards the front doors and out into the grounds. For those of them that could understand, they told them to run for the gates, dragging or carrying the weak and immobile if they had to. They looked like grains of sand in an hourglass as they squeezed through the doors and spilled out on the other side, still wearing their standard-issue white nightgowns. Margot had the entire length of the building, but her strength was waning as she doubled back on herself and headed towards the doors to Eddie and Florence. But instead of running out like the rest of them, she shoved them through the doors, swung them shut and sealed them from the inside, locking herself in and everyone else out. The other patients sped towards the intimidating wrought iron gates, realising that this was their one and only chance to free themselves. And with each step they took away from that terrible place, it was as if they regained a part of themselves. The glassiness in their eyes cleared. The mute began to speak again. The catatonia was broken. They fled into the night, but Florence stayed behind, hammering on the doors and wailing, begging for Margot to come with her, but to no avail. With bars over all the windows, even if she broke the glass, there was no room to squeeze her out. Everyone inside was trapped. Eddie pulled Florence away from the doors, but she wrenched free from his grasp and ran to the window instead, pressed her hands against the glass and peered inside. She could see some of the orderlies trying to break down the door. Margot must have barricaded them in, because no matter how hard they rammed, it wouldn't budge. A face appeared on the other side of the glass, stricken with terror. Florence could only just make out his muffled words. It's him, he mouthed. He's here. It's him. He's here. And then the screaming started. This story was written by Chloe Gorman and read by Andrew Bate, with music also by Andrew Bate. Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary is an audiobook series by Moth Sanctuary Productions. You can subscribe to the series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and YouTube. Follow Moth Sanctuary Productions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or for more dark delights, visit mothsanctuaryproductions.com.